right, well, good morning. We do welcome you to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you to the Word of God. I'm going to invite you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. Last week, we looked at the prophet Elisha, and we examined the prophet Elijah in pretty, pretty extreme detail. We went through every, every scripture from uh, the, the records there about the prophet Elijah. And towards the end, we saw that Elijah passed on this, this mantle, this ministry to Elisha. Remember uh, finding him? He was out plowing the fields, and, and he had basically called him. And, and what did Elisha do? He burned the plows and, and served this, this great feast of, of the animals. Uh, it, was, it was a complete turn, turning around, uh, putting behind him what he had been doing and now dedicating himself to the ministry of the Lord. In that process, as Elijah was taken into heaven, remember the fact that he was desiring this double portion. He said, if you see me when I go, you receive this double portion. And what we take a look at is we see there were, in, in fact, many miracles that Elijah had done through Scripture. And as you get into the, uh, the work of Elisha, the prophet, there are, in fact, multiple more miracles. We see this double portion in effect. And so as we take a look at Elisha, we're going to continue with the, the very next text. Not that we're going to look at every single verse from Elisha, but we'll continue in 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to give you a little bit of a tease or a little bit of a hint. Some of you have perhaps heard this before, but at the conclusion of the message, we're going to give you the kind of the Paul Harvey almost rest of the story tale about the hymn, It Is Well. There was a title for the message this morning. I'd simply call it, It Is Well. Now, when you hear those words and you say, It is well, or it is well with my soul, the challenge can be, how do you say it? How do you live it is well when things really aren't? Maybe, maybe some of you are there how do I live it as well with my soul when I don't really feel like it is? So at the very, very end, I'm going to see how that story of the hymn ties into the story of the text that we're about to get to. But the question to, to ask, the question for God to help us with this morning is that. How do you live it is well when you feel like it's not? When you feel like is not well with your soul. So I invite you to 2 Kings chapter 4. And I think one of the, the first things as we take a look at this text, one of the first things that God will hopefully help us to do to be able to live it as well is this, to live in contentment. Live in contentment. Let's, let's jump into the story then. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. 
One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. A curious response. She said, I have a home among my own people. So this is interesting. Last week we looked at the, the widow woman with the incredible debt, the, the creditor who was coming to take her sons. And immediately following that particular story is, is this particular biblical account. And this is a, a woman, it says well-to-do woman, it's her and her husband, and, and they're desiring, she's desiring, builds this, adds on a, a separate room. Not just simply saying, hey, here's a, a corner of the room in our house. Uh, when you stop by you know, this way, uh, we'll, we'll put a little place in our house. She adds on. I mean, that's, that's some incredible uh, devotion, extravagance, hospitality, whatever you want to call it. She's looking to bless this man of God and saying, I want you to come. Anytime you would like, come here, stay here, pray here, think here. So one of the times he comes through, he and his, his helper, his assistant, Gehazi, he's thankful for her generosity, thankful for her hospitality. And what does he say? Listen. We, we should ask her if there's something that we can do for her. So what would you say? When somebody comes to you, maybe you've had an experience like this, now, maybe not quite to the extent of the prophet Elisha. But you know, you're, you're out to eat or you're out shopping, you're out with friends, and someone turns to you and says, hey, Get whatever you want on the menu, it's on me. What do you want? Or you're out shopping and they say, hey, I want you to find something and I'll buy it. What do you want? There, there typically, there tends to be a, a couple reactions, right? One reaction is kind of the shy, hesitant, oh, you don't have to do that. Oh, nothing. I'm good. I'm fine. The other response uh, is someone might have a list. Well, since you said so, uh, you could get this, 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 or this, or any number of those for me. Elisha asks his, his servant, his helper, Gehazi, ask this woman, you've been such a blessing, what can we do for you? Imagine if God himself were to, to show up and say, what can I do? for you what would you answer now her response as we said it was it was kind of an interesting one she said i have a home among my own people it, it basically is this kind of nice way of saying thanks but no thanks i'm good i'm content i'm i'm fine nothing else really is needed i'm okay how many of you might be the I'm okay kind of response? If, if you were asked, what can I do for you? What can I get you? You might be the, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Someone's almost, they almost have to pressure you or badger you 
into saying something you might want or need. She simply says, I've got a home among my own people. I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm content. I'm okay. He was even giving her some, some options, right? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? Can we kind of put in a good word for you? God, God's blessed, and, and we know some of these different individuals. Maybe, maybe they might be a blessing to you. I mean, they're even offering options. Some of you, you might say, I'm good, I'm okay, no thanks, nothing. But then someone starts mentioning options. Well, you know, what would you like from this menu? I mean, you know, you could buy this or you could buy this or, or do you like steak or do you like chicken or... Well, now that you mention it, I wouldn't mind, uh... Or perhaps, you know, you're, you're out shopping. Uh, what can I get for you? No, I'm good. And you're walking by some things. Well, but what about an outfit like this? Or what about a, a piece of jewelry like that? Or what, what about some electronics like this? For us, we, we might kind of jump in and say, oh, yeah, I'll take one of those. What's oh, interesting, she simply said, I've got a home among my people. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm content with right where I am. And it's, that's kind of a bold and kind of a refreshing answer in many times in our culture today. Because our culture today likes lots of stuff. She simply was living content, maybe content already with what had been provided, content with her place of service or ministry or place in the community, content with her home or position or friends. Susanna Wesley said this, I am content to fill a little space if God be glorified. A, a great mindset to have. As long as God's glorified, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm okay. Paul puts it like this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We, we tend to kind of jumble that sentence around in our minds. We're like, okay, godliness with great gain is contentment. You know those, uh, those, those pieces, have you ever in Sunday school class or kids church class or any point in time, you, you take the, the words of a sentence and you write each one on a little piece or a, a little, uh, uh, little card and you kind of add them all up and then you got to you know, scramble them and unscramble them. This is how we might often unscramble this verse. We might say, Godliness with great gain? Yes, that makes me happy. That makes me content. But that's not how it was written. Godliness with contentment. Living content is great gain. So in the midst of however her life was going, and it, it seemed like on outward appearances that things were going pretty well. It said she was a rather well-to-do or wealthy or leading lady of the, of the area. It seemed like she had it pretty much going on from the outward appearance. As we're about to see, though, that there was something, it seemed to be maybe a little bit of an ache in her heart, but she wasn't saying anything about it. The fact of the matter was, she didn't have any kids. She, she did not have a son. 
Sons were certainly well-desired. Sons can continue on that family name. Sons are uh, maybe able to help out as these parents continue to grow older, and she didn't have that. We're about to see her husband was rather old. She has no son. She has an old husband, but she simply says, I'm good, I'm okay, I am content. Even in the midst of an ache, even in the midst of maybe something she wished for or hoped for, somehow she was seeking to live content. That's a, a challenge for us, but I think that's a great principle for us to be able to say, in the midst of whatever situation we face, it is well. I think part of that is that we live in contentment. God, I'm thankful for what you give. I'm thankful for what you provide and bless. God, I'm good. I'm content. I have you in my life. It's a challenge for us in our, in our culture, in our society. Just in this last month or two, we've had three major ad blitzes. It's hard to imagine that Christmas is literally two months ago, right? But it's a challenge because Christmas, the lead up to Christmas, takes so many months. I mean, it, it engulfs right after school and, and goes all the way through Halloween and Thanksgiving and the Christmas. I mean, it's, it's months long. It's a, you know, we're bombarded, aren't we? Trees and Santa and reindeer. And buy gifts for yourself and buy gifts for other people and just buy gifts and figure it out later. But buy, buy, and buy. And we, we have all of these things where we see the advertisements. Man, I want one of those. I don't have one of those. I know someone who has one of those and they like it. I want one. And, and we're bombarded. All this Christmas advertisements. We get a little bit of a <gasps> breath in the beginning of the new year. Just a couple Sundays ago was the Super Bowl. Companies will spend millions of dollars for 30 seconds of an ad. Not to mention how, how much it took to produce the ad and pay the people in the ads because they, you know, many times they buy uh, the, the services of some well-known people to be in the advertisement. But just to run it one time for 30 seconds, it's millions of dollars. Why? Because there's so many people watching that want to get your attention so you can go out and buy something else. And right off the heels of that is the lead-up. It's Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day was Friday, and that's a, another big uh, opportunity of revenue, whether that's cards and flowers or candy or jewelry or restaurants or any combination of things. It's hard many times to live content. Because maybe you got a card, but you looked at someone who got candy. Well, I didn't get candy. Well, maybe you got candy, but you look at someone who got flowers. Well, I didn't get flowers. Well, you look at someone who got flowers, and well, you found someone else who went out to eat. Well, maybe you went out to eat, but you look at someone else who got jewelry. Well, you got jewelry, but you look at someone else, they got a whole new car. I mean, it just never ends. No matter what the situation is, the challenge is to live content. 
thankful for whatever stage or, or area of life we might be in, what we have been blessed with and what we have received. It's, it's incredible, even though this woman seems to have been you know, rather well off, she didn't have this son, and yet she's saying, I'm good, I'm okay. In spite of seeing all these other individuals with families, I'm going to live content with what God's blessed me. The challenge is living content when our flesh many times wants more. It's not real often our flesh wants less. Our flesh often wants more. We, we get a little bit of something, but we want a whole lot of it. We get a little bit of this, so why can't I have more? Living content. And it's a challenge when we live in a culture that celebrates excess, right? The culture doesn't celebrate those who are satisfied and content. The culture celebrates those who have abundance and, and you know, who have so much they don't know what to do with themselves. That gets celebrated in the culture, and then it becomes a challenge for you and I to say, God, I'm content in every situation. Paul wrote about that in Philippians chapter 4. He said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And what Paul writes is apparently what this this woman has lived. She is content in each and every situation. Now, when Paul writes that, it's interesting that next verse is what? Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't think it's, it's a secret. I don't think it's Amazing that these verses are back to back. He said, I've learned to live content, and by the way, I can do all things through Christ. I, I'm resting in Him. I'm trusting in Him. I might not have everything, but what I have, I'm thankful for. He's given it to me. He's blessed me with. And in the midst of a, a situation, in the midst of a life, when maybe we say, how in the world could I say it is well with my soul? I think one of the principles, as we see in this woman, is to live in contentment. Now there's a second thing that we're going to see. Along with living in contentment, I believe we need to then prepare for difficulties. Continuing on in our text, what can be done for her? Verse 14, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son, and her husband is old. So they've, they've just asked her. And she basically said, no, I'm good. No, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm content. Thank you. And Gehazi comes back, and, and he relays this information, and they're in this discussion. And Elisha the prophet says, well, we want to do something. What could be done? And he simply shares well, she has no son, and her husband's old. Maybe there's a, a big gap in between, and, and, and maybe it, it, he's just saying, it doesn't seem like, it doesn't look like 
Anything's going to happen on the child front. And there's probably something there. She didn't say anything, but there's probably an ache. There's probably a desire. And that's probably something that could be a help or could be a blessing. Verse 15. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her. She stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. There's, there's this emotion that pops out in response to saying you're going to have a son. Obviously, there was something there. She had not had this son. She's now told she's going to have one, and she's like, listen, don't mess with me. Don't toy with me. Don't play with me. I, I don't know if I can handle it. If you say it's going to happen, and I, I gear myself up for it to happen, and it doesn't happen. How many of you, that probably would describe you? You're like, don't, don't tell me unless you're going to follow through, right? Don't, don't, don't kind of lead me on to think you're going to do something good for me, and then you don't. Don't tell me you're, I'm going to have this child, and I'm disappointed when it doesn't happen. So certainly there was something that was there. Certainly this, this seemed to be something that was heavy upon her heart. Verse 17, but the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. This is a mighty miracle of God. Verse 18, the child grew, and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door, and went out. How, do you, how are you able to live an it-is-well kind of life? I think one of the principles is to prepare for difficulties. Now, we're not able to prepare for everything. We're not able to have backups for everything. But certainly, to understand and to prepare, knowing that difficulties are coming. That's not a, a shocker to any of us, is it? Not a shocker to say hard times, difficult times, challenging times might and probably have and most definitely will Jesus himself said it in John 16. In this world, you will have trouble. It's not the matter of if, it's the matter of when. You can take a look at our lives, and, and maybe you have been in a challenging or difficult situation. You're just maybe coming out of one. Or look out, maybe you're about to head into one. It's, that's, that's life, unfortunately. Has anybody found life to be perfect, smooth sailing, no problems? Not one hand. I didn't think so. We all have faced challenges. We all have faced difficulties. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, it seems like it's one after the other after the other. And so how in the world can I say and live it as well? 
I think part of that is understand and, and prepare for difficulties, knowing that they are coming. Now they're unexpected. I don't know of anybody who's, who's able to schedule on their calendar, okay? You know, the next time a financial crisis hits, you know, give me about two months so I can save up some money and I'll be ready. We can't plan or schedule them. We can't do that physically. All right, give me about two months. Uh, let, me, let me make some changes to my diet, my exercise, and, and that way, you know, when something physically comes, I'm going to combat it by being a little healthier. We don't have that insight to know next week, next month, next year, this is going to happen. But by preparing, understanding, difficult times will come. And they come to everyone, right? It's, it's impartial. It happens to all individuals. It's, it's men and women. It's young and old. It's this and that. Last week, we saw that it was a poor widow woman. She lost her husband, was in debt. The creditor was coming and was about to take her boys away. She was in the midst of some difficult situations. Today we're looking at a woman that seems, from the scriptures, she's wealthy, well-to-do, leading woman of the area. On the outside, seems like she's got it all together. Didn't have a son. It seemed like there was a, an ache in her heart. God blessed, gave her the son... But then, so many years later, the son's out in the field with the father, complains and cries out about his head, sits in her lap, and dies. It's no respecter of persons. The, the poor widow and the rather well-to-do woman, they both went through some challenging, difficult situations. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, it rains on the just and the unjust. Now, we kind of like to be, or I shouldn't say we like to be, we would prefer to be spiritual weathermen and weatherwomen. We would prefer to dictate to God where those storms should go, right? Jesus said it rains on the just and the unjust. All right, Jesus, send one of those torrential downpours to the unjust. Sunshine over here to the just. Jesus didn't say, it rains on the unjust, and it's sunny and 70 every single day for the just. We wished he would have said that. He said, it rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, every single one of us, we go through difficulties, we go through challenges. Whether it's the poor widow woman at the beginning part of chapter 4, or this seemingly well-to-do woman in the middle of chapter 4. And the challenge, too, is this. Difficulties many times will come even after blessings. We don't always understand that. I mean, can you imagine how incredibly excited she was? Nervous, no doubt. Elisha says, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a son next year. 
she's a little nervous in anticipation, and it happens. The boy is born, and she raises this son. And then one day he's out in the field, complains of his head, and passes away. Can you imagine all that's, that's going through her heart and her mind and her life? She had this incredible blessing. Blessings don't exempt us from difficulties. Now, we, we love the blessings of God, and, and God does bless in many different ways. But simply being blessed of God doesn't mean that the challenges or hardships or difficulties are erased. Difficulties, challenges, and hardships will come. The challenge for us is somehow to prepare for them, understand that they're coming, and make sure that we live in contentment. It's a final principle that will help us to live all as well, even in the midst of challenges when it seems like it is not. Number three, we've got to trust God's sovereignty. We put our trust in him. Verse 22, she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the servants, one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and return. He said, why will you go to him today? It's neither a new moon nor a Sabbath. And she said, it will be well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. So she went and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, there is the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Now there's... A lot of ways to, to read that, and scholars uh, kind of put their minds together, and there's a lot of uh, thoughts this way or that. On the one hand, we look at that, and, and she says, it is well. Maybe that's a, a trust in, in God and a trust in his sovereignty, a, a trust that she's coming to the man of God, and somehow she's believing it is. Others might say, well, maybe because this was the servant, Gehazi, who was coming and asking that maybe she wasn't quite certain about maybe God's hand upon his life and, and she wasn't letting him know. She was just going straight to the man of God and his connection to God. Whatever the case, isn't that an interesting way to put it? You're blessed with a son you probably thought you would never have and you've just lost him. He died in your lap. You then went and placed him on the prophet's bed. And now you've gone to see the prophet and you're asked, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your son? Instead of bursting out in tears, no, my son's died. She very simply said, it is well. challenge to live it as well even when everything around us sometimes seems like it's falling apart how do we do that hmm. 
So she went and came to the man of God, answered it as well. Verse 27. When she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came near to push her away, but the man of God said, let her alone. Her soul is troubled within her, and the Lord has hidden it from me and not told me. Then she said, did I ask for a son from the Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? That's some, some real emotion coming out, right? I mean, what's she basically saying? I told you so! You asked me if I want anything. I said, no, I'm fine. You're the one that had to bring up about a boy. You're the one that said, I'm going to have it. Yes, I had one, but now he's gone. I, I told you, I'm not sure if I can handle the, the, the not knowing or saying it and not getting and now getting it and losing him. I mean, there's this emotion pouring out. She told Gehazi, it is well. But the, the emotion's pouring out. She speaks to the prophet Elisha. She's holding on to his, his feet. Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up your loins, take my staff in your hand, and go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him. If anyone salutes you, do not answer him. And lay my staff on the lad's face. In other words, you go straight there, put my staff Right on him. Don't, don't worry about anything else. The mother of the lad said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her. Then Gehazi passed on before them, laid the staff on the lad's face, but there was no sound or response. So he returned to meet him and told him, The lad is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he answered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. He went up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, hands on his hands, stretched himself on him. The flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned, walked in the house once back and forth, went up and stretched himself on him, and the lad sneezed seven times, and the lad opened his eyes. He called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her. When he came in, when she came into him, he said, Take up your son. She went in, fell at his feet, bowed down to the ground, took up her son, and went out. Can you imagine that, that range of emotion? Blessed in many senses, but no son. Promised a son and not sure if he would come, he comes. Raises him up to a number of years old as a boy. Dies in your lap. Place him on the bed, call out, cry out, and now he's back to life. Incredible emotion. In the midst of it all, there seemed to be this trust and this sense that I'm going to put my trust in God. And I'm going to go to the man of God who's representative of this God that I know and trust and serve. It's God who gave this son to me. And I'm going to trust in him and ask and believe that maybe he would raise this son back to life. I mean, it was a a miracle in the first place, wasn't it? To even have the son. 
we don't know all the ages, but she didn't have a son and her husband was old. That was, that was the scoop from Gehazi. So it didn't seem to be very logical that, that a, a baby would be in the works. And God worked a miracle. Who's to say God can't work a second one? Who's to say that God can't do the impossible? Trust in God's sovereignty. Trust and keep trusting when many times it seems like nothing's happening. Hold on tight to God. Sometimes, sometimes we trust, nothing happens, and then we kind of we let go. We kind of lose our grip and say, well, I guess that's it, God. But we hold on tight, continuing to trust and persevere and believing God to do a work in whatever that situation is that we're facing. Now, sovereignty means God's God. He can move. He can heal. He can provide. He can do all of these mighty miracles. And we trust him and pray and believe that he can and will. But if not... I'm still going to trust. I'm still going to serve. I'm still going to live for him, even if what I've prayed for hasn't come to pass. In the woman's case, this prayer, this, this heart cry, if you would, was answered by the Lord. Where do we go? We go to the presence and the power of an almighty God. And we stand firm upon him and we trust in him him the things that we are facing the things that we have faced the things that maybe we're about to face we can't handle them in our own strength but we trust in the power and in the sovereignty of God to be able to move trust him to act anything is possible with God God gave her the son in the first place. God was able to restore him back to life after he passed. I don't know what the, all of the situations. We know there's, there's a lot of needs represented in, in the body of Christ. There's a lot of things that keep us from saying it is well. But we take a look at this woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. She was living in contentment, ready and prepared for difficulties, and then trusting God's sovereignty. She declared, it is well. Now the rest of the story. It's about a man by the name of Horatio Spafford. He and his wife Anna were pretty well known in Chicago in the 1860s. Not just because of his legal career and business endeavors, but they were also prominent supporters and close friends of D.L. Moody, the famous preacher. In 1871, this lawyer, who was rather prosperous, he was a devout Christian, he and his wife Anna were living comfortably with their four young daughters in Lakeview, Chicago. Life was good. His career was going well. He'd invested heavily in real estate on the shores of Lake Michigan, and Chicago was booming. He was an elder in the Fullerton Presbyterian Church, which he had helped to build. So family, career, church, all going well. Then the great Chicago fire broke out on Sunday, October 8, 1871, and it burned 
until Tuesday, October 10th, devastating the entire city. The destruction was massive, resulting in more than 73 miles of roads, 120 miles of sidewalk, 2,000 lampposts, 17,500 buildings, and $222 million of property destroyed. That's a pretty high value in 1871. About a third of the city's valuation was lost, and at that time, it's 300,000 inhabitants, 90,000 were homeless. His real estate investment was completely lost, and for the next two years, he and Anna devoted their time to welfare work among the refugees of the fighters, trying to get things back on track. It wore them out. In 1873, they were tired. They decided to join some friends in Europe for a vacation. The blessings were, though they lost a lot of their real estate endeavors, with his job and other things, they were able to do something like this. So the Spaffords traveled to New York in November, and they were to catch a French steamship across the Atlantic. Just before they were to set sail, a last-minute business development forced Horatio to delay. Not wanting to ruin the family holiday, he persuaded the family to go ahead as planned, and he would then go on later. On November 22nd, 1873, somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, this ship collided with another ship. Unfortunately, it sank in only 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 people. His wife Anna had stood bravely on deck with her four daughters clinging desperately to her. Her last memory was of her baby being torn violently from her arms by the force of the waters. Anna was one of only 73 saved by a plank which had floated underneath her body and propped her up. When the survivors of the wreck had been rescued, her first reaction was obviously one of complete despair. Then she heard a voice speak to her. You were spared for a purpose. She immediately recalled the words of a friend it's easy to be grateful and good when you have so much, but take care that you are not a fair-weather friend to God. Wow. To have those words through your mind in the loss of four children. Nine days later, Horatio received a telegram from his wife in Wales. It simply read, Saved Alone. Nine days later, the, the instantaneous society we live in, not knowing for nine days later what's going on. Upon hearing the terrible news, Horatio boarded the next ship out of New York to join his bereaved wife. Upon crossing the Atlantic, the captain of his ship called Horatio to his cabin to tell him they were passing over the spot where his four daughters had perished. He wrote back to Rachel, his wife's half-sister, On Thursday, we passed over the spot where she went down in mid-ocean, the waters three miles deep. But I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe, folded, the dear lambs. This man of God, facing a tremendous tragedy, had been searching the Scripture. and He was reading a story from 2 Kings Chapter 4. 
The story that we have read, the story we have looked at this morning. As he sat in his cabin, crossing the Atlantic, grieving the loss of his four daughters, reading 2 Kings chapter 4, and uncovering the woman's response, it is well. He wrote these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Verse after verse, chorus after chorus, the main phrase, the main refrain, it is well with my soul. In spite of losing four daughters, in spite of the, the harrowing journey, his wife, can you imagine what she would have experienced to have survived but witnessed the perishing of the four? The two of them together. Just a handful of years earlier, the, the financial difficulties, now it's the loss of life and all of this compounding and just weighing upon his shoulders and somehow he pens the words, it is well. It is well with my soul. Was he discounting the tragedy? Was, was he just writing it off and just, you know, putting his fingers in his ears and saying, la, 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 nothing, nothing bad's happening? The reality, he'd face tragedies. But I think the principles he was living his life were principles he was seeing from this woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. How do we live a life that says and and speaks out and lives out, it is well for him and for the woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. In the midst of everything, they were living in contentment, preparing for difficulties, and trusting in God's sovereignty. I want to encourage us to do the very same. 